At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to look deeper into 1 Peter, tuning into our current series, Unshakable, Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. Join us as we allow God's Word to shape us and renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. Many years ago, a 10-year-old boy was standing outside of the shoe shop in, in the middle of Broadway in New York City. It was cold, he was barefoot, he was shivering, he was very small for his age, and yet, just like pre-COVID Broadway, people were hustling and bustling, going here and there and everywhere, and all of them ignoring this barefooted little boy. And yet, in the middle of that throng, there was one little, one, not little, one old lady who walked by and noticed this boy shivering in the cold, and she turned her, him around and said, young man... What are you doing out here all alone? He said to her, Ma'am, I was praying to God for a pair of new shoes. She had compassion on him. She took him by the hand, walked him into the store, found the store owner and said, Could you give me six pairs of socks? And by the way, I need a basin of water and a towel. And he brought that over to her, and, and she took the boy to the back, sat him on a stool, took off her gloves, knelt, washed his feet, dried them. By then, the store owner had come over with the socks, and, and she put a pair of socks on his feet. She bought him a brand new pair of socks, put those on, and, and tied the laces, put the other five pairs of socks in a bag, and, and gave it to him. And, and then she stood, and she ruffled his hair, and she said, young man, I hope you're much more comfortable now. And as she turned to leave, he grabbed her by the hand, and he looked up at her face with tears streaming down his cheeks, and he said to her, lady... Are you God's wife? I think it's important that you and I are confused as God's wife. Man, just go with the analogy for just a minute. Yeah? That it's okay for people to see Jesus coming through. That it's okay to let the world around us, whether that is a 10-year-old boy or a 90-year-old grandfather, to let them see Jesus coming out of you and me. To be confused as God's wife. What would it look like in the world in which we live today if you and I lived that way? What would our communities and our neighborhoods, our schools and our workplaces look like? If we lived that way, allowing Jesus to come out of us in such a powerful way. I hope that question will continue to reverberate in your heart. Are you God's wife? If you have your Bibles or electronic devices, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, where we are studying this letter written by the Apostle Peter written many years ago, written to a group of believers and churches that were scattered across what is now modern-day Turkey. And those believers were under intense persecution. Their lives were being made difficult because of the fact that they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The people around them didn't understand them. 
And because the, the Christians didn't live like the rest of the world, they were persecuted. Their lives were made difficult, some of them to the point of death. And so Peter writes this letter to encourage these believers who are under such persecution to stand strong in the faith of Jesus Christ. And so we've looked over the last few weeks, and, and the theme that we've seen over and over and over again is that we have an identity in Jesus Christ. We have a new identity because of a new birth, and that new birth is because we were elected by God. There was nothing about us that caused God to say, oh man, look at those people in Romeo, I got to have them in my kingdom. Nothing about us would cause God to want that. The reason you and I have been elected and loved by God is because He set His love upon you and me. That's it. It was a sovereign choice. And so we are children of God. And last week we looked at the fact, the clearest message about identity. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. Why? Why did God give us that new identity? So that we might proclaim to the world around us the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous, marvelous light. Amen? That's why. That's why we have a new identity. Now we come to chapter 2 and verse 11. And we come to the second major theme in the book of Peter. So first two chapters-ish, identity, who we are. From chapter 2, verse 11, all the way to chapter 4, verse 11, Peter's going to talk about the second major theme, and that is, we who have a new identity in Christ, how are we now to live in this world in which we now live? If we are a new creation, what does that mean in our schools? If we are a new creation in Christ, elect and beloved, what does that look like in our neighborhoods? What is the way we behave? in the world in which we live. That's the theme we're going to embark on, and we're going to read verses 11 and 12 today, and we're going to look at these, and these are introduction, this is Peter's introduction to this passage or this section of his letter. And what he's going to tell us this morning is that our lives have to be our witness, that our life has to be our witness. You see, the problem with many of us is we forget who we are and we forget that we're on mission because the pressures of the world come to distract us from our mission. We get weighed down by the stress and the strain of life and we forget. And Peter wants to remind us that you and I, we're in a battle. We're in a battle for the souls of men and women who are outside of the family of God. And until we understand that and take that seriously, we won't be able to accomplish all that God has for you and for me. And so he's going to tell us this morning that our life is our witness. In order to do that effectively, there are some battles that we must win. Specifically, there are two in these two verses. The first is that we must win the battle inside. We must win the battle within. Notice verse number 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. You and I are beloved. We are loved by God. All of the things we've talked about, all of the things that bring, that bring us blessings as a result of the new identity in Christ is because God loves us. He has made us His beloved. 
And so Peter says, beloved, who are sojourners and exiles in the world. Sojourners and exiles. Those are not two different words. They're two different words that talk about the same idea. Essentially, because we are a new creation in Jesus Christ, we no longer are meant for this world. It means that when we accepted Jesus Christ, he gave us a new birth that gave us a new purified soul, that gave us a new identity, that gave us a whole bunch of new blessings, that gave us a new destiny, and that destiny is to spend eternity with God in heaven. Amen? That is our destiny. But guess what? We're not there yet. We still live here. Many of you know that in 2014, my company sent me overseas to live in Germany on an international assignment. So we packed up and we moved. I had a house there. I had some cars there. I made friends. I ate the food. It was good. I cheered for Germany in the World Cup. I adopted Germany as my country for four years. But once, never once, did I confuse Germany to be what? Home. It was never home. I was just living there temporarily. I knew after four years I would come where? Home. Friends, you and I, we live in this wonderful country. Praise God for America. Praise God for the blessings, the rights, the privileges we enjoy. There's no place like this place in the world. But if you're in Christ, this is not your home. I know what you're thinking, but I just bought a boat. <laughs> I, I mean, I've, I, just, I just rented a new, new place. What do I do with this? That's okay. It's okay to own a boat or a house or cars. It's okay to enjoy the blessings of this world. But God says, don't set your heart here. Because you have a new destiny, and that destiny is not this world. It's the world to come. Your destiny is that you're going to spend eternity with Him. So don't hold on to things too tightly. There's a song from a generation ago that I used to listen to when I was a kid growing up. You, you probably don't know this song. Sung by, at least the one I heard was sung by Jim Reeves. Anybody remember Jim Reeves? Oh, yeah. He used to sing a song that would go like this. This world is not our home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Angels beckon me from heaven's open doors, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Friends, you and I are sojourners and exiles in this world. Why? Because this world is not our home. This world is not our home. So Peter says, beloved, people who are loved by God, people who live here but don't belong here, there's a challenge for you and for me. In chapter 2, verse 11, he says, abstain from the passions of the flesh. The word passion here means to crave or to desire something, right? There's good things to crave, like cheesecake. Cheesecake is good, right? If you don't like cheesecake, pass it to me. I'm perfectly fine eating your piece of cheesecake. Cheesecake desire is good. There's things that God has made that are to be enjoyed. It's good to have those passions. It's good to have those desires. As long as we're within the boundaries of righteousness and God's word, enjoy them. Food and drink and things of this world and sex within marriage, those are all good things to enjoy. But other things outside of the boundary of God's word? Well, those are what he's talking about. Passions 
of the flesh. They are illicit desires that vie for our attention that are outside the bounds of righteousness. What are these passions of the flesh? Well, well Peter's already told us a couple of things from chapter 2 and verse 1. He said, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. These things are passions of the flesh. But the Apostle Paul gives us a much broader list from Galatians chapter 5 and starting in verse number 19. Notice the Apostle Paul says, now the works of the flesh, so these are the passions of the flesh, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sexuality. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are passions of the flesh. Now, I know what you're thinking, but wait, wait a minute, I have a new identity. I have a new soul. I have a new birth. Why am I still struggling with sin? Anybody? One of you? You guys, three of you. You guys are wonderful. I got to thank Billy for, for you guys. I mean, you guys are pure people. We at the Troy campus have a problem. We struggle with passions of the flesh. We always wonder, God, didn't you make me new? Why do I still struggle with all the old stuff? So I'll speak to the three of you that raise your hand. The rest of you, you guys can listen in. You see... It's true, we have a new birth. It's true, God purified our soul. It's true that we have the, all of these beautiful things we've talked about and a new destiny. But what's also true is all of that is encapsulated in a sinful body that lives in a sinful world. And so to put it another way, what happens is we who have a new identity live in a body that still has an inclination to sin. To put it a different way, we still have muscle memory about sin. You know what muscle memory is, right? It's that remembrance of what it used to feel like. And so in this new soul trapped in this sinful body, that muscle memory is still there of what we used to do. And it used to re we remember it felt good. And so we have this fight between our new desire and our old desire, and our body pulls us that way. Muscle memory. Of sin, And that's why the Apostle Peter here says, abstain from the passions of the flesh. The word abstain means to fight or to resist the pull towards something or someone. To fight the urge that pulls us toward something that isn't godly. So let me explain it in a more mundane way. Whenever you try to diet... You're trying to abstain, right? When I diet in my house, I'm trying to abstain from things that taste really, 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 really good so that I can lose what? Oh, you've tried it. Yeah. So, you know, in my house, it's nearly impossible to diet because distractions and temptations are all over the house. Anytime I try to diet, my daughter who's sitting right there, she's a baker. You know what she does? She'll bake something. Here I am, I'm studying in God's Word, you know, I'm praying, I'm meditating, I'm getting ready to preach to you, and oh man, something smells amazing. I wonder what she's baking. You know, inevitably, you're going to have to get a glass of water, so you go down to the kitchen to get a glass of water, and there on the countertop, what do you see? Chocolate cake! Oh, I wonder if this is what smells so good. You go over, you go, 
Oh, I feel like Bruce in Finding Nemo. That smells good. <laughs> Am I abstaining? You don't know, do you? So far I am. Well, what's going to happen if I keep smelling? There's going to be a fork in my hand and a piece of cake in my mouth, right? I'm not doing a very good job of abstaining. There's a pull from the cake. There's a pull from sin. There's muscle memory in us that's pulling us towards sin that wants that gratification, that wants that pleasure. And we forget that in our new body, with a new identity, that pleasure is temporary. That's what we forget. So abstaining means to resist the urge. If I have to really abstain from that chocolate cake, I really need to move out of the house. <laughs> what do you have to do to abstain? What do you need to do to abstain? Folks, this is a fight. By the way, the apostle Peter here says this is a war. This is not a friendly fight. This is not a, just a little tiny fisticuff. This is war! It's not fought with bullets and missiles and physical armaments. It's a war for your soul. J.C. Ryle says it this way. He says, being ruled by the desires of your body will murder your soul. This is serious stuff, ladies and gentlemen. Your soul is at stake. Your identity as children of God is at stake. Every time you give yourself back to that passion, there's a little bit of your soul that dies. Why? Because God who gave you a new soul, soul called you out of that darkness into his light so that you can abstain. It's a war. In fact, the apostle Paul says it much better in Romans chapter 7, verse 19. He says, for I do not do the good I want. But the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and taking me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. It's a war. I want to do good, but I can't because that old nature, that old muscle memory causes me to do something I don't want to do. And there's this war going on. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Oh, so it does happen here. <clears throat> there's this war going on. So how do we win this war? How do we win this war? <laughs> We're not going to win the war by looking at that chocolate cake and going, oh, man, that looks and smells so good, and getting closer and closer and closer to it. Does it work? My hunch is you all have tried that, and it doesn't work. Doing more, trying harder doesn't work. Just saying, I'm not eating that chocolate cake doesn't really work, does it? Some of you are much stronger than I am with chocolate cake. <clears throat> For me... Dessert is dynamite. For you, maybe it's not dessert. Maybe it's a nice, juicy steak. Oh. Maybe medium, medium rare. Just right. And you smell that meat. Okay, never mind. Uh, whatever is kryptonite for you, fill in the blank. 
How do you win the war? What tempts you isn't what tempts me. What works for you may not work for me. So understand that. Let me just give you just a couple of things that works for me. Hopefully, they will work for you. There's no right and there's no wrong here. This is just some things that I use. First of all, do what Peter has already told us, and that is remember who you are. You understand that? Remember who you are. Who are you? You're no longer lost, tossed about the, by the winds and the waves. You're no longer a sinner. You are saved, sanctified, sealed. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possession. You are blood-bought believers in Jesus Christ. That's who you are. Don't let that old muscle memory cause you to forget that you are no longer a sinner. You no longer do that stuff that you used to do. You are a child of God. Say that out loud. Tell yourself that. Remind yourself often of your new identity in Jesus Christ. Another thing that might help us win the war is to find an accountability partner. Folks, none of us, none of us in this room are beyond the need for help or accountability. Every single one of us needs someone to hold us accountable to help us. You know, when I'm dieting, you know who my accountability partner is? It's my wife. She's right there. When I get closer and closer and closer to that cake, you know what she does? She gives me that look. Oh, yeah, I'm scared of that look. I run the other way. You know why? Because I don't want to know what comes after that look. You guys need somebody in your life that can give you the look, that can hold you accountable to God's Word and to the righteousness in your life that this Word calls you to do and be. You need someone to give you that look. That's why small groups are so important because you can't do it in this large place. We have too many people. You need a smaller group of people that you can get to know and love and be loved by who can hold your feet to the fire and give you that look. Another way to win this war is to take every thought captive under the Lordship of Christ. Now, that's easier said than done. Can I just tell you that before I ever preach to you, this message always preaches to me, and this week was the hardest in a long time. <clears throat> I had to learn to take every thought captive. One way to take every thought captive is to fight image with image. Did you understand what I said? Image with image. Every time an image pops into your head that's from your old life, put a new, put a new image up. You don't know which image to choose? Put Jesus on a cross. See his blood flowing down that cross. See the crown of thorns on his head. Put that image over the image from your old muscle memory and see what happens. I cannot tell you how often that image has saved me this week. That when the enemy in the world and my flesh did battle with me, it was the cross of Jesus Christ and that picture that helped me. I can't tell you I won every one of them, but that helped me. Another way to take every thought captive is to do what Peter said a couple of verses ago, and that is to crave spiritual milk. Or in other words, memorize Scripture. It's not just for your kids, folks. It's for all of us. In fact, can I just say, memorize chapter 2, verses 9, 10, 11, and 12. These verses will help you when you find yourself being pulled in against the, the way of, of what God has told you to do. Recite the verses. 
bring them to memory, fight image with image, words with verses, and see what God will do. Can I just say ultimately, the strength to fight is not in you and me. It's God who gives us the strength. It's God who gives us the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives to give us the strength to fight this battle. And so every morning when we wake up and I say, Lord, not my will but yours be done, he gives me strength. And every time I go through this battle, I say, Lord, less of me and more of you. And you know what he does? He gives me more strength just when I need it. Folks, there's a battle going on. There's a war going on. And until and unless you and I win this war, we cannot be the hands and feet of Jesus that he has called us to be. We must win this war that's going on in the inside of us. Amen? It's only when we win the war inside that we can turn our attention to winning the second thing that Peter talks about, and that is the war on the outside. And that's what verse number 12 talks about winning the battle outside. <clears throat> Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Keep your conduct, your behavior among the Gentiles honorable. The word Gentiles is probably a bad translation. Gentiles here doesn't mean Gentiles like you and I think. Gentiles in the context Talk about people who are outside of the family of God. People who are outside of the church. So a better word here is pagan. Keep your conduct or behavior among the pagans honorable. The word honorable means excellent or beautiful. In the context here, it has the idea of being magnetic. Magnetic to the point that it draws people to us. It magnetically draws people to us, and really not to us, but to the person who lives inside of us. Keep your behavior beautiful. We are to live not just on Sundays, but every day in a winsome way so that we can be drawn, drawing people to Jesus. So people look at us and get confused. Are you God's, well, women, wife, men, the hands and feet of Jesus? Let them be confused. That's the kind of behavior and conduct we are to have. Now, Peter says that even when you live that way, we can be accused of being evildoers. Notice that's what he says in verse number 12. Though that the pagans will speak of us as evildoers. That even though we're doing good things, they will tell and call us evildoers. That's slander. They will slander us. That was happening all across the first century in the Roman Empire. The church that Peter is originally writing to was facing such persecution because the church was being misunderstood. The pagans who looked inside says, there's something strange going on. You know, they accused the church of being unpatriotic because they refused to acknowledge Caesar as Lord. They accused the church of being atheists because the church didn't worship an idol. They accused the church of cannibalism because they ate the body and drank the blood of, of this guy named Jesus during communion. I mean, talk about being misunderstood. Now, you, that doesn't happen nowadays, does it? By the way, they got killed for their beliefs. They were tortured. They lost their jobs. They were kicked out of their homes. 
that was tough. Praise God that we don't have that kind of persecution. But you and I can certainly still be misunderstood, can't we? In fact, Peter talks about that in 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 3. He says, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With the respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. See, we get misunderstood today. The world doesn't understand why we don't enjoy the things they enjoy. The world doesn't understand why we don't participate in the things they participate in. The world doesn't get it that God has called us to be different than the world, and so we're easily misunderstood. If we ever share what was right and godly according to God's word, the world looks at us and calls us bigoted and closed-minded, doesn't it? If we ever share our opinion according to the word of God that marriage is between a man and a woman, well, we might be reprimanded by our companies that we work for. If we ever post our religious conviction online, our accounts can be suspended, can't they? So there's certainly misunderstanding going on in our world. And yet, the apostle Peter here says, do your good deeds among the pagans so that as they see you, they can give glory to God. By the way, this makes an assumption. The assumption is you're living outside. You're living in such a way that people see you. So here's a newsflash, ready? You are being watched. Did you hear that back there? You are being watched. When you go to eat after church today, the people around you sitting at the next table around you, they're watching you. When you're in the shopping line pushing your cart, the people coming the other way, they are watching you. When you are sitting in your cubicle, the people around you are watching you. Why? They want to see if what you do matches what you say you believe. You ever watch fish in an aquarium? We had an aquarium and we bought what's called kissy fish. I don't know if you've heard of it. We bought two kissy fish, and, and we put them in the aquarium tank, and the kids would stand and, and just stare at the aquarium tank. And you know what they're waiting for? Do these kissy fish kiss? And they would stand for days, and they said, Dad, they don't kiss. We got gypped. You're like kissy fish in the, in the aquarium. They're watching you. Because you say you're a Christian. You say you believe the Bible. You say you have a new identity. Do you? I was sitting in Dallas-Fort Worth Airport, minding my own business, waiting for my second leg of my travel <clears throat> to commence, which was another two hours away. I was sitting there at the gate reading my book. Two guys walked up and said, Hey, 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 aren't you, uh, aren't you Abe? Didn't you preach at Woodside a couple of weeks ago? <gasps> Time froze. Like, I started to think back for an hour. What did I do? <laughs> what did I say? What did I look at? Why? What am I doing? I'm just cataloging the things that I did to make sure that because I'm about to acknowledge that what they said is true, I want to make sure my behavior matched the concept. Folks, you're being watched. Your life is a witness. Whether you like it or not, if you have a new identity in Christ, the world has to see. 
and they will give glory to God. And Peter here at the end of verse number 12 says, they will give glory to God on the day of visitation. What is the word, what does that phrase mean, day of visitation? Well, it means one of two things in Scripture. Typically, in the Old Testament, and even here in 1 Peter, they use the phrase day of visitation to talk about the day when God comes in judgment. It's specifically judgment over those people who have never repented of their sins. <clears throat> Another way that this phrase, day of visitation, is used is that God comes to visit to bring blessing. And so, on a day of visitation, God visited His people who were in bondage in Egypt, and that visitation brought about deliverance, the blessing of deliverance from captivity. In the Gospel of Luke, the day of visitation, God visited Zechariah and Elizabeth, and as a result, it brought about the blessing of a son named John the Baptist. And so you have judgment and you have blessing. So which is it? I'm glad you asked. You see, if you read commentators, they'll say it's this one or this one, or they'll give you their opinion. I'm going to give you mine. Ready? It's both. And here's why I think it's both. When you and I live according to His Word, living in our new identity, living abstaining from the passions of the flesh, living in the power of the Holy Spirit, and people see our good works and confuse us for being Jesus, what we're doing is we're sowing seeds of faith in the hearts and lives of people who are outside of the family of God, and one day God comes knocking at their heart and they're ready to open their heart and accept Him by faith and come into the family of God. And when they do, they bring glory to God. Amen? But even if they don't accept, even if they don't come into the family of God, you see, there's a day coming at the end of time when every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess, whether they like it or not, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And even then, God is glorified. So whether you accept Him now or you confess Him later, God gets the glory. Amen? That is the day of visitation. You and I are to live in this world in a way that proclaims the truth of who we are in Christ. To be confused to, that we are Jesus is okay, because that brings glory to God. Let me close with a story written by Nick Ripkin in the book, The Insanity of God. He tells a true story of a man named Dmitri living in the old Soviet Union in Russia. He was a factory worker. He was saved. He started a house church, and that house church started to grow, and it started to grow so much so that the authorities came, and they arrested him, and they sent him a thousand kilometers away to spend time in the most hardened criminal facility they had that housed 1,500 of the most hardened criminals, the worst of the worst in Russia. He could easily have gotten out of it if he would just sign a piece of paper that said, I recant my fate, it was all a mistake. But because he refused to do that, they threw him into that hardened prison facility. And as far as he knew, he was the only believer in that place. And what he would do every morning of every day for 17 years is that at daybreak he would get up and he would stand tall, he would face east, he would lift his hands into the sky, and he would sing a heart song to God, a song of praise and worship, his song to God. And any time, and he would, by the way, he would sing at the top of his lungs. 
And of course, all of the prisoners around him, they'd take their metal cups and they'd bang it against the, the metal or the jail bars and, and they would yell at him and scream at him and cuss him out. They'd throw food at him. They'd throw human waste at him, all in an attempt to get him to stop. But it never worked. It never worked. Every day for 17 years, Dimitri sang his heart song to God. And any time he was walking around the place that he got a chance to exit his jail cell, he would find a scrap piece of paper every once in a while. He'd take that scrap piece of paper back to his cell, and in as small of a handwriting as he could, as tiny as he could, he would write down every Bible verse he could remember, every story he could remember, every song he could remember. And then he would take that piece of paper, and he would reach up as high as he could, and he would stick it on the cold, damp, concrete pillar that stood at the corner of his jail cell. He would do that as an offering to God. Of course, the guards would come by and they would see that piece of paper. And they'd come in, they'd rip that piece of paper apart and they would beat him to a pulp. Every day, heart song to God. Every time he found a piece of paper, verses offered up as an offering to God. And he would get beat up constantly. All he had to do was sign a paper that says, I confess, it's all a mistake. But he refused. In the 17th year of his imprisonment, the guards found a way to finally break him. They told him that they had killed his wife and taken his family into custody and they were going to torture them and suffer some reason that broke his heart and it broke his resolve. And he said, I'm done. I'll sign whatever you want, thinking that somehow he could get out of prison and go find his, his children. That night as he sat in his jail cell, broken, Full of despair, a thousand kilometers away, his family, sensing that something was wrong, gathered the family and gathered loved ones to pray. And miraculously, God opened the ears of Dimitri to hear the prayers of his wife and his children and his loved ones as they were being raised on his behalf to God. And, and Dimitri heard the voice of his wife, heard the voice of his children and loved ones, and he knew that they had lied to him. And so the next morning, when they brought in the piece of paper for him to sign, he stood up and he said, I'm not signing anything. You lied to me. And of course, that ended up in another beating. A couple of days later, he was walking the compound and can you imagine, to his surprise, he found a full sheet of paper. And next to that full sheet of paper was a pencil. He was so excited, he grabbed it, he ran back to his cell, and he started to write as small as he could every verse, every song, every story he could remember, front and back. And then when he had finished it, he offered it up as an offering to God on that pillar. Of course, the guards came by. They saw it, and they stormed into that jail cell. They ripped that piece of paper apart and they beat him to an inch of his life. The guards had had enough. They set a date for execution. We've had enough, Dimitri. Here's the date. And the date of execution came and Dimitri was dragged out of his jail cell and as they were on their way to the execution block, 1,500 of the most hardened criminals in Russia stood to their feet next to their beds, faced east, raised their hands, and sang Dimitri's heart song to God in worship. Dimitri would say later that that was the most beautiful sound he'd ever heard. It's 1,500 criminals sang to the glory of God. 
The guards who were escorting him to be executed was so terrified that they let go of Dimitri and they looked at him and said, Who are you? He got up on his feet, straightened his back, and he looked them in the eye and he said, I am the son of the living God and Jesus is his name. A couple days later, they sent him home. I tell you that story, my friends, because you and I are sons and daughters of the living God. May we never forget. May we never forget, no matter what circumstances may happen in our lives, you and I have a new identity in Christ. We are children of God. People are watching us. They are looking at us. Dimitri's story tells you 1,500 men in that prison facility heard his song every morning, and they raised it up in worship to God. When people look at you and me, what, who do they see? Do they confuse you for Jesus? I hope and pray they do. Folks, it starts from the inside out. Until and unless we win the war on the inside, abstaining from the passions of our flesh, we cannot impact this world with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. I hope and pray that you and I, through the power of the Holy Spirit, win the battle within so we can win the battle outside. Folks, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, I am so glad you're here. We're so glad you came. Please don't leave here the way you came in. You came in lost. You came in confused. You came in not saved. But may I encourage you to accept the free gift of salvation that is only found in Jesus Christ. And when you say yes to Him, He comes into your life. He gives you a new soul. He gives you the new strength. He gives you a new identity and a new destiny. You are no longer from this world. You are meant for a world to come. Amen? Father God, I thank you and praise you that you are God, that you never change and that your promises never fail, that you have called us to be your children and you didn't ask us to live in this world by our own strength. You asked us to live daily surrendered to you. And so, Lord, I ask on behalf of myself and for everyone here, Lord, we need more of you and less of me. Lord, would you do that work in our life to fill us, to empower us, to equip us to say no to our old sinful ways and to say yes to what you have set up for us to do. Father, if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know you, I pray that you would continue to minister to their heart, that you would continue to knock at the door of their heart, to show them who you really are, to convict them of their sins, to show them that you are who you said you are, the Savior of the world who died on the cross to pay the penalty we could never pay, so that we might have a relationship with God we didn't deserve. And may the new life, the new identity, the new power and the new destiny power that gives us the opportunity to win the battle on the inside, display for all the people watching that you are the God of our life. And we'll be careful to give you the glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and let's worship God together. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.